We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Well, how are we doing tonight? IB Nation Sports Talk is up and rolling. There he is, fixing his hair. It's Vince D'Addario. Woo! I'm Sean Styers. Vince was out late with a little high school soccer last night, and he's got yeah. more high school soccer he's got to get to tonight. Hey, they actually won a game, so pretty fired up about that. So, <laughs> uh, you know, I didn't even put today in the calendar because they were playing the number six team in the state last night, and they ended up winning with nine seconds to go. So it was quite the thriller. About six to eight yellow cards handed out, so it was a pretty physical battle. So it was a lot of even there. Even the other team's bench got a yellow card, so that was kind of funny. But uh, yeah, so they won it two to one, and uh, and now of all teams, they are playing the school I worked at last year, and (laughs) the last four years they're playing Riley High School. So get to uh, you know rub elbows with a lot of my former you know colleagues tonight. So that should be interesting. But an eight o'clock start, Sean. I'm going to freeze my tush off man, because the sun will be long gone at that point. Yes, it will. And it's going to be chilly. And it's been chillier than usual around here for this time of year. Yes. Like usually you can still count on, you know, 70s and even some 80s. Now it's been a little bit warmer the last couple days in the afternoon, but like mornings, it's been like 30s. It's brutal. It's September. Yes. I'm on door duty, checking IDs for a half an hour, thinking to myself, yeah, January is not going to be fun standing there with the door propped open and, you know, checking IDs. That is not what I signed up for. <laughs> I agree. I, I I don't blame you. I don't blame you. Well, it is mailbag night and uh, we're a little light on uh, on the mail in the chat right now. So if you're jumping <laughs> in on the chat, get your questions in, you know, like especially if you're kind of a lurker or, you know, whatever, you know, you kind of sit there and, and you take in the show and you don't ask your questions. Get your questions in because it's mailbag night, and that's what we do on mailbag night. We answer right. questions. You know, we've got we've got rapid fire stuff that you know we usually have for later on. And Jesse and I did a whole rapid fire show <laughs> last Woo. week when I'm you were gone. You had any questions left over? I know, I know. Um, you know, it's it's been kind of a weird week. I mean, you know, I've like we've been getting, you know, I. We had on yesterday, you know, like on the, uh, you know, the comments on the YouTube stuff, you know, yeah. and, you know, like after the show with the videos up and stuff like that, had a, a BYU fan kind of chime in and uh, he said, BYU fan here, you completely forgot about Gunnar Romney and Puka Nakua, both have been out for injuries, but will be back for Notre Dame. Go watch their plays last year. And so we... We did nothing but talk about how good BYU's receivers are and all the production that BYU's receivers have. And that's what he picks up on because (laughs) we didn't mention two guys, you know, and and Romney did play last week. It's like, it's not like he wasn't there, but we were talking about the production of, uh, you know, the top receivers on the team. Yeah. So, you know, it is what it is, I guess. And we did a chalk talk show last night and uh, actually had, uh, someone who was a player at uh, at Auburn, Robbie, who I think listens to the show fairly right. regularly, he uh, he uh, tweeted at Jesse and I today talking about what a great job the Chalk Talk was. He there really enjoyed it. So oh. glad to hear that anyway. 
<laughs> love it when you, especially when a former player likes to jump in and say that it's, uh that's good stuff i like yeah, that that's right that's right so uh Glad to have you with us here tonight. Hit that like button if you would. Help out the old Irish Breakdown channel. Subscribe, rate, review, all that good stuff. Do appreciate it. But um, we're uh, we're up and rolling. We, we've got a couple questions. We've got a couple. Sitting in the can... bag. You want to start with those right now? Might as well. I mean, hey, they're willing to put it out there. We can go ahead and talk about it. That's no problem to me. Yeah. Yeah. So... Like I said, you know, hit us up with uh, with more of your questions because it is mailbag night. And, uh, you know, so that's uh, what we're going to be doing here tonight. Let's start with a question from our old buddy, Salty. Salty Virginia Peanuts. Since Drew Pine has been getting most of his reps with the second team, wouldn't he have added chemistry with those receivers, one of whom is likely Merriweather? Uh, we actually talked about that when he first took over. If you remember, Sean, you and I had that conversation about how, you know, maybe that's a great opportunity to get Tobias in the game because he, in theory, will already have chemistry with Drew Pine and all of those. I mean, we we talked about that and apparently we were wrong uh, that that <laughs> would get him on the field a little bit more. He has four snaps for the entire season, and I think they were all at the exact same time. He didn't go in motion and we haven't seen him since. So. You know, it is going to be one of the things that I'm going to be keeping an eye on against BYU to see if he is able to get in the game after the bye week. If, you know, a couple added practices, you know, things like that. It, it, maybe he gets in, maybe he doesn't. We'll see what happens. But yes, I would have thought that that would have maybe gotten him on the field a little bit quicker, but I would have been wrong in that. Assessment. Yeah, I would have too. And, you know, like, you look at Notre Dame is two and zero with Drew Pine as the starting quarterback, and you know Jesse and I watch the Dallas Cowboys, as a lot of our regular listeners know. We're, we're Dallas Cowboys fans, and the Cowboys are three and zero with Cooper Rush. And just what we're talking about right here, like when Cooper Rush came in, he and Noah Brown had instant chemistry because those two guys, you know, same kind of deal. Noah Brown, the last few years, has been lower on the depth chart. He's getting more of an opportunity this year because, you know, Amari Cooper's gone and, and Michael Gallup was out the first few games as he was recovering from an injury last year. But Cooper Rush was finding Noah Brown early and often. And I think that there's something to that. And, and typically, you've seen that. So I would have thought that that maybe that could have benefited Tobias Merriweather. But, you know, this, this whole Merriweather thing is, uh, yeah, it's a little bit baffling. You know, we've talked about it over and over again. I mean, we've really kind of beaten it into the ground at this point sure. that there are other ways to get him on the field other than knowing the entire playbook. Tommy Reese was asked asked about it after practice yesterday. You know, Marcus Freeman talked earlier this week about it's on these guys maybe who aren't getting as much playing time as they would want. Communicate with your position coach. Communicate with your offensive coordinator. Tommy right. Reese said Tobias has been good about that, so that's not something – that's been lacking. So I don't know. We'll see yeah. as this season goes on, I guess. But I, I think it's a good point that because of that history that that Pine and Merriweather had, you would have thought that maybe that could have helped him out a little bit more. I never dreamed I would talk this much about coffee, especially since I'm not really a coffee drinker. But ever since we first tried trade coffee, my coffee-loving wife is not only hooked, but I've even started to drink coffee. And I've got my mom hooked on it as well. Let me tell you about trade coffee. It's a coffee subscription service unlike anything you've tried before because they partner with top independent roasters to freshly roast and send the best coffees in the country direct to your home on your preferred schedule. Their team of experts do all the work, taste testing hundreds of coffees from across the U.S. every month to curate over 450 exceptional coffees that make the cut. I've told you about our collection, the rich, sweet flavor of the Big City Roast from Joe Coffee, the full flavor of the black velvet from Atomic Coffee Roasters where you can actually taste the malted milk balls. We love it. And if what I got isn't up your alley, don't worry. Trade will have whatever it is that you want. You can shop their most popular coffees by roast or flavor profile, or you can take the coffee quiz like we did and get expertly matched with the coffees that you'll love. Trade is the easiest way to get your very best tasting coffee delivered fresh when you need it. You've got nothing to lose. Because Trade guarantees you will love your first bag. If not, they'll work with you to replace it for free. 
So if you want to support small businesses and brew the best cup of coffee you've ever made at home, it's time to try Trade Coffee. Right now, Trade is offering our listeners a total of $30 off your first order, plus free shipping at drinktrade.com slash irish. That's drinktrade.com slash irish for $30 off your subscription to the best coffees in the world. Give it a shot. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah, and Brian went on a little bit of a rant about this the other day. Oh, that never happens. Come I, on. I know. He never I, goes on rants. I know it's shocking, but he has, he's has he been out for a little while, so I'm sure he had that building up. Had and, some rants built up. Yeah, yeah, festering inside of him. But uh, it's actually a really good – it's a good talk about the Merriweather situation, and you can go check that out over on the podcast side of things. But, you know, it, a synopsis is basically – the problem is the offensive coordinator. It's Tommy Reese, and then he learned from Brian Kelly, and the whole thing was you have to be a master of the entire playbook in order to get on the field, and that is what keeps freshmen off of the field, and it's ridiculous. He needs to adapt if he wants to be a good college offensive coordinator. You know, It's not like the NFL where you can just cut guys who don't know the playbook and bring in different guys. You have to have dy- your most dynamic people on the field. Yeah. That is not the case right now. He needs to adapt. And it's weird how it, it it really only seems to apply to this one position. Because, you know, like, are we to believe that because of the depth chart, like Eli Raritan and Holden Stays were, were that much more well-versed on the playbook than Tobias Merriweather? They were out there getting a lot of playing time. But, you know, like, again, like when you look at Raritan, what was he doing? Primarily blocking, right? You know, that was like right. his, his big thing you know not and I'm not saying you're going to ask Tobias Merriweather to block but it's it's like you figure out you know how that player can be an asset and and again you don't have to be a master of the whole playbook and I agree you know that does seem to be kind of the uh the you know the link to Brian Kelly yeah. you've seen some of those things you know they've carried over I mean yeah. they, they have and that's, that's his background that's the guy disturbing. he came up through yeah it's disturbing and and Brian made the case that over the last 13 years only four of them have been without Brian Kelly you know and and that's you know part of the situation when you learn from a guy it becomes you it becomes part of you and I get it I don't like it but I get it and so hopefully things change as he starts to go through this but I'm well, not holding my breath kind of you know, related, but not completely the same. Kevin wants to know if it's time for Notre Dame to hire a new quarterback coach. Well, and and where Kevin's coming from, and this has been an age-old debate in the chat for years, it feels like, they want a separate offensive coordinator and quarterback coach. They don't want somebody doing both. They don't think that he is able to do both. So if that's what you want, Kevin, and I, you know, I'm not yelling at you because you're the one that brought it up, but everybody has been talking about this. Who are you getting rid of on the staff? Because you can only have 10 assistant coaches. Right. So if you don't want him doing double duty, who are you getting rid of that you can bring in a sole and then what is coach? Yeah, and then what what position is the offensive coordinator going to take over for? Right, and if he's not going to. Is he going to start coaching tight ends? Right, you know, is he not going to have a position? Just, like, yeah. I mean, that now there, there are teams out there that don't have, you know um, – Special teams coaches, like a like a defined special teams coach. Okay, 
So you're going to get rid of uh, Brian Mason, who's been doing an amazing job with special teams this year. So I, you know, you got to rob Peter to pay Paul if that's what you want to do. Yeah. And so who are who who goes? So that would be my question about that whole thing. Well, and I mean, you know, I, I realize that when you look at this position overall, and and I I think I kind of went on my own little tangent, you know, maybe a week or so ago about the fact that you know why is Notre Dame why why can all these other teams and you know not even just right now you know, like C.J. Stroud came right in after not starting and look at the season C.J. Stroud had last year and Bryce Young and you know on and on and on all these different quarterbacks who can come in and they're you know it doesn't take them a season to get up to speed you know I think it was when we were talking about the you know should they have brought in a, a transfer quarterback and and that kind of thing and, and my point was sooner or later you were going to have to start somebody who you know didn't have much experience unless you're just going to keep bringing in a transfer quarterback every year and I don't think that's good for you because that ultimately affects your recruiting you know yeah, absolutely worse in the long haul if you just keep for quarterbacks because they have experience but you know like I, I realize Ian Book was not perfect and you know he was still a lightning rod despite the fact that he won a lot of games took him to the college football playoff twice but Tommy Reese was his quarterback coach for part of that time and look at Drew Pine I mean you know I think we all had some concerns about Drew Pine after the interceptions that he threw one of which got you know taken sure. taken back when he came in in relief of Tyler Buckner but look at what Drew Pine's been the last couple of weeks so I don't know you know I, I think in general, Tommy Reese has done a pretty good job of developing these guys. And like, if you listen to Dan Orlovsky in the Fiesta Bowl last year, all he did was rant and rave about what a great job Tommy Reese does in developing quarterbacks. Yeah. So, you know, is it is it more a matter of recruiting the right guy as opposed to the development side? I don't know. Well, and that's, that's a good point because it feels like, and I, I mentioned this after – about a week ago, right? I mentioned this about a week ago that Tommy Reese didn't, it didn't feel like Tommy Reese knew how to call a game with a guy like Tyler Buckner behind center. Yeah. He knows how to call a game with a guy like Drew Pine behind center because he's kind of a poor man's Ian Book. They're very right. similar in, in their skill set, right? He called a great game for him two times in a row now. <clears throat> it's like he understands what Drew Pine can do, how to do it because he was also that guy. Yeah. Right. That's what it feels like right now. Now, that doesn't make you a great offensive coordinator. That makes you <clears throat> very aware of what you were able to do and what you could do well and all of those different things. And if that's the answer, then Notre Dame needs to basically recruit guys like Tommy Reese. And to be honest with you, I, I think the car kid is a similar mold to Tommy Reese. I'm saying that he's way more talented, but he's a similar mold, right? He's a pocket passer. You know, he can he can move around with his feet if he needs to, but he's a pocket passer. You know, this game plan would work for him as well. So that is a good person to bring in if Tommy Reese is going to be the offensive coordinator slash quarterbacks coach slash play caller. That works, right? Dante Moore? Yeah. I mean, he he's a good pocket passer. I mean, he's got a really strong arm, but he's also a very mobile guy. Is that the guy? You know what I mean? So, like... It doesn't make sense to me that they're out there recruiting these multifaceted quarterbacks if the guy who's calling the plays can't call the game for them. Yeah, because the guy who he's called the plays, the kind of guy he's called the plays best for have been Ian Book, Jack Cohn, right. Drew Pine, which are more, you know, straight pocket guy like and, Tommy was. And they're yeah, they're out of the mold of what Tommy was and and that's yeah. what he appears to be comfortable with. And that's it's disturbing because you have to be better than that as a coordinator and as a play caller, you have to be able to adapt to your personnel. But as of right now, that seems to be the personnel that he adapts the best to. So we'll see. Yeah. See, and that's, you know, something that I'd already always said about Tommy Reese is that he seemed to be able to adapt to his personnel, but the quarterback kind of seems to be, you know, go outside that mold. It's a little bit of a blind spot, like the rest of the personnel, he's managed to figure that out. But like you said, if you throw in a different element, that running element, then that seems right. to change things for yeah. Tommy Reese. Right, and it's not good, frankly. Yeah. So they need to get that fixed. 
Tim's asks, does Marcus Freeman have direct control of who gets reps or does he leave it entirely up to Reese? Could you ask him? I asked a couple of weeks ago kind of what his involvement was in practice and, and things like that. And he basically just kind of talked about how he, it you know, he moves around quite a bit from position, you know, like one week, you know, like in the lead up to Ohio State, he spent more time with the scout team defense trying to get them prepared for that Ohio State offense and that kind of thing. I just think in general, the offensive coordinator is going to have some say in the reps, but it goes even deeper, don't you think, Vince, to the position coaches? like, And there's, there's always going to be a little bit of tug of war even there between the offensive coordinator and the position coaches when it comes to some of that stuff. Oh, there's no doubt. And I, I do – you know, Marcus Freeman does give a lot of latitude to the offense right now. There's no doubt about that. Could he overrule Tommy on some things? Yeah, I, I'm, of course he can. He's the head coach. But he hasn't yet. And for whatever reason, he hasn't stepped in to do that. Maybe that's not the conversation he wants to have. I don't know. But right now, Tommy is the offense. And Marcus is, or Coach Freeman is the guy that will make the big decisions overall when to go for it, you know, things of that nature, but he's not micromanaging who is playing. Right. And he's also not micromanaging who's playing on defense. Al Golden has decided that there's freshmen that can help him out and they're playing, right? Ben Morris has been the best DB on the team. He plays, right. he starts. It would be like if the guy, you know, like the the CEO of the company came down to office level and, you know, started started dictating, well, you know, this guy needs to be my guy punching the holes. And this guy needs right. to be my, you know, like like that kind of, you know, because like what does he really know about whose who's skills are, you know, best suited for some of these little jobs? You know, like when you start breaking up within the positions, I mean, that's why you have to rely on the position coaches because they're the ones working right. with the players most closely, you know, position coach and then yep, coordinator absolutely. and on up your, your chain of command. So. Yep, no doubt. So, I mean, what – Maybe it gets to the point where Marcus Freeman starts pulling rank and he starts saying, hey, this kid needs to play. You know, this kid needs to play. Right. Maybe that happens. Maybe that happened over the break. We don't and know I mean, that. He can always but... ask the questions, you know, like what's going on with this guy? And he Why doesn't have to answer. You know? Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, yeah. yeah. Kind of, you know, again, going back to the receiver stuff, Brent says Alabama, Georgia, Clemson, USC, they all incorporate a true freshman at the beginning of the season every single year. So it was Dell Alexander really the problem well he was the problem with the fundamental side of the wide receivers like and from what i understand he actually at times tried to get other guys in but wasn't willing to stick his neck out there and put guys on the field because he had been berated by brian kelly in the past <laughs> and didn't want to go down that road yeah to a degree i get that right but the bigger issue with Dell Alexander was the fundamental issues of being a wide receiver that were completely gone. They were there by the wayside. They were not good. So that was really more of the issue with Dell Alexander, not who was playing and who wasn't playing. It was the, the play of the guys that were playing. Yeah. And I mean, you know, again, I think this thing about the freshman, again, it, it goes back to the roots that Tommy Reese has with Brian Kelly, you know, so, so, yeah, some of the issues with the receivers, the recruiting, the development, you know, all those different things, you know, some of these guys leaving the program, obviously, I do think that that it goes to the position coach. But specific to this, the mentality yeah. about freshman receivers, whether or not they see playing time, regardless of how talented they are, I, th I think it's kind of rooted deeper than that. Yep, I agree. All right. Let's get a defensive question in Ooh, here. Nice. What do you think about Maris tackling? When Maris he has, yeah, when he has to diagnose a play and things of that nature. Now, once he grabs a guy, he's he's pretty much fine. But getting to the guy, if he has to diagnose a play and he has to sit back, read and react, that that's not Maris' strong suit, right? We we saw very clearly uh, in the most recent game that he needs to be, hey, see ball, get ball, go. You know, uh, blitz here, go there, one track mine, put the blinders on and go. When he does that, he's a really good linebacker. And I think Al Golden has finally realized how to use Marist in a very, very good way. Um, 
he did well. I mean, he did well when that was his role. And so from that point, I think his tackling is just fine. If it, Like I said, if he has to read and react, it's not going to be great. He's thinking too much. It slows him down. And he's not a great linebacker at that point. See, and here's, here's what concerns me specific to this week's opponent, BYU, based on some stuff that I saw in their game against Utah State last week when BYU is on offense. They do a lot of counter type stuff. Well, where like they would literally – have the whole offensive line going to the left and then hand the ball off going to the right or, you know, like boot the quarterback out yeah. to the right with the whole Re-react. line going to the left. It's and that's, you know, again, with the linebackers first read being the guards, you know, that's a false step right there. So how is Notre Dame like in, a, in specific to a guy like Maris Leofau, who has been, you know, this goes back to two years ago when he and Shane Simon were splitting time at that buck linebacker, you know, like the, Jordan Travis in the game that he had for Florida State against Notre Dame, a lot of that had to do with that kind of stuff. It was, you know, counter type stuff, counter runs where you know they start one direction, come back the other, they get the linebackers flowing in the wrong direction, and they were able to hit some big runs. So I think that's going to be really key is that backside contain and whose responsibility that's going, you know, how much of that is on Marist, I don't know. But like when you look at specific to Marist problems, those things have given him problems, like getting started in the wrong direction right, and having exactly. to make up for it coming back. Right. Yep. Completely agree with you. And yeah, sometimes there's some arm tackles because he's going so fast that <clears throat> he misses the mark, right? And that he needs to break down and do some things like that. But I think he's gotten better as the season has wore on. Yeah. Yeah. I think so too. And, you know, I think that probably, get you know, Al between Al Golden and again, you know, like him being their position coach, the linebackers position coach, you know, I think you have, we, we have seen progress. We were kind of critical of the linebackers early on. Now the other side of that too, and Jesse and I talked about this last week is North Carolina ran some relatively simple uh, blocking schemes as well. So they weren't necessarily too hard to diagnose for the linebackers. So again, you know, there's there's going to be more on them, I think, this week against right. BYU than there was against North and Carolina. And part of that's going to be from a play calling, you know, game plan uh, situation too. Notre Dame defensively is going to have to force the action a little bit with BYU, I think, and that that means bringing some different pressures, showing some stuff, and backing out of it, doing some different things to force the offense to do kind of what they want them to do, if that makes sense. So. Yeah. There's going to be some gamesmanship going on. I, I at this point, I trust Al Golden and and the way he puts his game plans together. I think you're going to see him activate some linebackers here and there, just to make sure that they are trying to force the issue. That takes us to Prince Colley. Ah, any chance you think that he overtakes this question from Brent? Any chance you think he overtakes uh, the rover position from Kaiser? So. There was another question here that I also want to bring up from Brent, and he says, this Saturday versus BYU, do you see the Irish sticking with the 4-2-5 for the majority of the game, or at least in the first half? So Notre Dame has not really run a whole lot of 4-2-5, to be honest with you. They've run a hell of a lot of nickel. Yeah, Um, They're taking the rover out, they're moving Kaiser inside, and they're bringing in the nickel back because Tariq Bracey has been one of your better DBs the entire season. And so they've been running that more than anything else. So it is a 4-2-5, but they're not running it with a rover, right? They're moving Kaiser inside as an inside linebacker, not running a rover position. That, to me, without having charted it, but just watching the games, it feels like that's what they're going to more often than not. Two inside backers, five legit DBs, and then four down linemen. I think they're going to stick with that because it's been working for them, and as you and I have discussed, as Brian and I have discussed, the linebackers are the weak link right now for this team. So they're kind of minimizing things by having one of them off the get field. A, get one less linebacker I mean, on the field, exactly. And when Tariq Bracey's playing the way he is, you can get away with that. And so, and and then of course, other you know teams want to throw the football and they want to do certain things. But I think it's been successful for them so far this year, and I I, I am on in the camp that they should continue it. And like if Ramon Henderson is healthy, that's something that, you know, again, like taking a linebacker body off the field, he can play closer to the line at times as well and right. kind of fill some of those roles. Absolutely. You know, they, they have more versatility with those safeties. I th- you know, whatever the defensive backs happen to right. be. Right. Yep. You know, 
completely agree. So now specifically, so I guess that kind of a roundabout answer to, to my question is that, or to your question, excuse me, Brent, that could Prince overtake the Rover position? I don't really see that happening. He hasn't gotten enough snaps to really make that happen. And plus the Rover really hasn't been on the field a lot lately. So I don't know that that possibility is even in the air. Could he take over some of Kaiser's snaps period on the inside? It's possible, but I don't see him overtaking. I, I just don't. I, I don't see them overtaking Kaiser. I agree. Whether I agree. that's the right decision or not, they're not bringing Jack Kaiser off the field. Yeah. So. All right. Let's go with Michael's question. What an opponent's two best players are miraculously. Okay. He says an opponent's two best players miraculously recovered from an injury to play Notre Dame. Never heard that before. LOL. Notre Dame game means nothing for our opponents. And that's something else that uh, that BYU guy, and that's kind of where that came from. The BYU guy who was yeah. commenting was saying, oh, well, we're notor BYU is notorious for playing down to our competition. You know, they're going to play better against Notre Dame. I would expect them to play better against Notre Dame. But if you're playing down to your competition, that's an issue, you know, with your team and a huge issue and your coaching. And not to mention the fact that I don't necessarily think you played down to Oregon and Oregon just whooped your butts down yeah. in the trenches. Is Oregon that team? Yeah. You know, I don't, I don't think you played down to Oregon. Right. So I think yeah. Oregon was above you to begin with, but <laughs> yes. All right. Let's see. T Stewart. You've talked about the importance of communication along the offensive line. What is that really? Words, code, left, right. Yes. <laughs> it's all of those things. I mean, it's 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 verbal communication. It is physical communication. So, for example, word, uh, verbal communication, you're making calls at the line of scrimmage before the play starts. So, depending on how they line up, you're, you've got, you know, code words or whatever. Like, for example, uh, when I was coaching – for certain things, uh, we had them say, you know, uh, condiments or or fruit or, you know, something along those lines that meant something to the line, but didn't mean anything to the other team. Right. And so you've got co you've got calls for before the play. So pre-snap calls. Then the physical stuff is when you're in a double team, for example, and you know that one of you needs to leave the double team and climb to the next level. Some of that is verbal, you know, go, 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 you know, me, 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 whatever the case may be, however they do it. Some of it's nonverbal. Some of it is just you've been doing this now for two months. You know when you've got the block and the guy next to you can go. It's just, it's nonverbal. You got this, you go. That's why we've always talked about the fact that give these guys a second to work and play together. Because there is nonverbal communication that takes place on an offensive line, and they do a lot of that where they double team and climb, and that that's zone, that's duo, that's a lot of different things that they do is nonverbal communication, and they and weren't I mean, doing a very good job of it at the beginning, right? And the three interior guys, especially, it's the first time that they have really worked together right. because obviously Patterson moving from center to left guard and Carell taking over at center and lug moving in to right guard from right tackle last year. And that's not to mention the fact that, you know, Fisher only made one start at right tackle right. last year. So, excuse me, there is a learning curve and it does seem like it's coming around. I, you know, again, I think we all maybe rushed to judgment thinking that it was going to happen much sooner than it did, but it does look like it's starting to come around. Anyway, so that's right. a really good sign. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think, you know, that's obviously going to be one of the things that we're paying attention to as we move forward. And and that's a huge question mark, honestly, <clears throat> coming out of the bye week is the offensive line as good as they showed against North Carolina. North Carolina was barely a defense, you know. And yes, the offensive line should have had success against them. No doubt about it. Can they piggyback that off of, you know, and, and move forward with that and still be a dominant offensive line. I believe that there is a rapid fire question kind of similar to that, uh, you know, once we get there about the offensive line and, and production and things like that. So what are they going to look like? It's a huge question mark. Are they going to be moving guys? Are they going to be, you know, taking that next step? 
I hope so. I think so. But we have to see. Yeah. I'm going to bring in, where did it go? Let's go with the, I was I was debating on whether or not to go with this tonight Ooh. or save it for tomorrow. I'll let you look at it. Do okay. you want to do it now or do you want to save it for tomorrow? Let's see. Oh, who gets So the question is, we did the first. 30. Who gets, <clears throat> do they get, and I think it was actually, was it, no, it was 30 wins. Okay. So, yeah, what's the genesis of the 30 wins? Did you and I do this question last no. week, or was it Jesse and it I? It was you and Jess. Does, the, so the question was, does yeah, it was. It was Jesse and I. The question was, does Marcus Freeman get to 30 wins or 12 losses first? Oh, interesting. And, okay. You know, we kind of, you know, did the math, you know, like assuming, we you know, we went just based on going nine and three for the next couple of years, maybe. And then the you know the recruiting classes start coming in, and you know yep, your your yep. your talent starts kind of ticking up. That, I think that, that basically easy, but that basically ahead. I think it's going to be thirty wins, yeah. but it's actually you know like considering he already has three losses, right? You know because this is going from what he's got right now, but we we thought that he would that it was going to be close, but that he would just get to thirty wins before the twelve losses. I agree with that. I, I think I think they'll get to 30 wins before the 12 losses as well. Uh, but I think it's even more interesting with some of these names to kind of go through. Right. So the question decide. is, yeah. Shannon is asking, of these first-year coaches, who gets to 30 wins first? Billy Napier at Florida, Freeman here at Notre Dame, Lincoln Riley at USC, Brian Kelly at LSU, or Brent Venables at Oklahoma? Well, I mean, look. Part of it is going to be the conference that they play in, the schedule that they have. Yeah. Right? And so I think that you can take <clears> – right now, I think you can take Billy Napier and BK right off the list um, because they play in the SEC. And I'm not well, – Invitables is going to be in the SEC. Oh, good call. So, and I can't remember yeah, – he's got a couple years, I think, unless, you know – there's a chance that Texas and Oklahoma could move sooner than later, but still, he's either way. He's going to have to get part of that in the SEC. Well, they're so, not exactly running rough shot over the Big Twelve right now. No, either, I mean they so. just got beat by Kansas State and two, TCU two weeks in right, a row. Right. So I think you could take Venables out of there as well. To me, I think it comes down to Lincoln Riley and Marcus Freeman, right? Because Lincoln Riley is going to run rough shot over the Pac-12. They're not good. Until they go to the Big Ten, you know, then what's the go. difference in the Big Ten going to make? <laughs> so can he get to those 30 wins, though, before they move to the Big Ten? I, I think there's a possibility that that could happen. Um, and he could be really – he could be on the doorstep of 30. Then you move to the Big Ten, and you're going to get some wins, obviously, and you can pick up those wins. Because so. he should win 10 this year. You know, I and agree. Like, I, I was just looking at their – you know, they're not a good run defense team, but they're – you know, they they had a close game with Oregon State a couple of weeks ago, but because of the schedule that they're going to have, staying, you know, as long as yeah. they're in the Pac-12, it's not going to be that hard. And they're they're going to rack keep, up the wins. Yeah, he's going to keep pulling in, you know, transfer yeah. guys and stuff like that. So I, I think mean, that it's I think it's probably going to be Riley because of that. Yes, that would be my – that would is what I would say as well. I would say Lincoln Riley, then Marcus Freeman, then probably Billy Napier – and just because I, Kelly and Venables are kind of a toss up because they're yeah. both maybe I think Venables, though, because Oklahoma is going to have at least a year or two in the Big 12 where right. he's got an opportunity to rack up some wins. Like I, I did my picks this week and we had the LSU Tennessee game on there and I was looking at LSU schedule. He's about ready to run straight on into the rest of the season. He either plays a top 10 team or a really good team on the road. Yeah. And the only week off that he gets is against UAB at home on November 18th. Right. Other than that, I mean, he's playing. He's obviously got Tennessee their eighth. He's got Alabama their one. He, they have to go to the swamp. Um, who else was? I think they have to go to Arkansas, which is obviously not going to be an easy win. Um, I, forget, I forget it off the top of my head, but it's either a tough place to play or a top 10 team at home. Good luck. Dude, like, yeah, that's not going to be an easy way to rack up wins down there at LSU. Yeah. No, I agree. I agree. 
All right, Michael, I watched a few BYU games and they play a lot of zone dropping eight. Can we take advantage of this? Run the ball. That's how you take advantage of drop eight. You run the football. And if they can be successful running the football, I mean, look, five offensive linemen versus three down linemen because you're dropping eight. And that's what we, that's exactly right. And that's what, you know, in the chalk talk that Jesse did last night against 11 personnel, they like to stay with the that three down quite a bit. Awesome. And that's a huge <laughs> advantage for Notre Dame. Awesome. I mean, and you know, like, is it a wonder that they don't defend the run <laughs> very right. well? You know? And I, look, I <clears throat> I get that they play out west a lot of their games, and so they're they're probably playing a lot of pass happy teams and things like that. Notre Dame doesn't want to be pass happy. That's pretty yeah. obvious. You know, let's rewind to the Tobias Merriweather conversation. They're not looking to be pass happy. They're looking to run the ball. They've gotten better at running the ball as they've gone. And I can tell you as a coach, every time we played a odd front, a three front, I we just sat back and licked our chops because you can run the ball very, very easily against a three front. Your guards are uncovered most of the time, so they've got a free release to go get linebackers. It's a lot of one-on-one blocks. I mean, yes, a lot of three down teams have a big nose or, you know, a guy that's tough to move around, you just use his momentum against him. And that's what right? Cal was supposed just, to whoop, have. Or whoop. You know? I mean, it's easy. Yeah. So I I think that, that Notre Dame is going to have, if they're going to continue to drop eight, if that's going to be their game plan, Notre Dame's going to run the crap out of the ball. Yeah. And I might have to change my answer for rapid fire. That's where <laughs> I'm at. So you want to just uh, answer Chi-Town's question oh. right now? Keys to victory against BYU? Run the ball. Stop the run. Like, I mean, I hate to sound like Marcus Freeman, but. I mean, that's it for this game. It really is. It, I mean, it is. And and Notre Dame has done a great job defensively of keeping scores low. They have. They, they've yeah. done a really good job of that. They've kept dynamic offenses below their season, season average by a lot, right? I, I think that they'll be able to do that again, number one. And then number two, I think they're going to be able to put points on the board. They're going to run the ball, run the ball, run the ball, throw it over the top. Run the ball, run the ball, run the ball, throw it over the top. Like, that's what they're going to do. It's going to produce points. And I don't think this game's going to be all that close. Yeah. Like, I'll be curious to see how much playing time Clarence Lewis has based on, you know, the long passes from the North Carolina <clears throat> yeah. game. Obviously, Benjamin Morris is, Morrison's going to start, and he started that game. When Morrison went in, was in, things were pretty good the majority of the time. But, you know, unfortunately, Lewis came in and, and gave up. You know, he was involved in those long pass plays. But, yeah, I, I, I agree with what you're saying. It's it's run the ball, stop the run. That's that's pretty much what it is. Limit yeah. b- limit BYU's big passing plays. And, right. You know, again, they've got a good receiving core. And, yeah, Romney and Nakur, they're they're part of that, you know, for the per BYU audience who might be jumping in here. But, you know, I'm much more – concerned with number one you know the guy who uh, who's the big playmaker who can stretch oh no doubt no doubt and I think they're going to do a good job on him to be honest with you I I'm not worried about their big receivers you know and all that because I think Notre Dame did a much better job also of keeping contain on the quarterback you know keeping you know they, they did a really good job against North Carolina of not allowing that kid to be comfortable in the pocket right because every other game he's played, he's been lights out. He's just been picking apart defenses. Notre Dame never really allowed him to do that outside of the first series, right? And I think they're going to continue doing that because, look, BYU does have a pretty decent quarterback, right? He can he can chuck the ball, but they're going to keep him off balance. They're going – now, whether they can convert that into sacks or whatever, I believe Notre Dame's 12th in the country in sacks per game. That's not terrible, right? They're getting to quarterbacks. They're, they're pressuring quarterbacks. They're making – they're the other team's quarterback not do what they want to do. If they can continue yeah. to do that, they're going to be in great shape. Yeah. Stymie says over under currently 51 running the ball burns the clock. Sounds like Vince <laughs> likes the under. And I don't think you're saying ground and pound. I mean, I right. think we're, I think we're going to see a similar game plan to I, North I Carolina. Really. I think that they definitely want to, you know, like they kind of came out and tried more throwing the ball early against Carolina. When that didn't work, they concentrated more yeah. on the running game. I think, I think they probably get into the running game maybe a little bit earlier, especially if they're running a lot of two-back stuff. But I still think they're going to be, you know, putting the ball in the air. I don't think it's just going to be ground and pound. 
Yeah, no, I agree with that. And I actually, if I'm remembering my prediction correctly, I'm taking the over on that. So I'm trying to remember <clears throat> what my score prediction. Well, I'm pretty sure I've pretty sure I'm over. I've got Notre yeah. Dame scoring some points in this yeah. game. And so I definitely have the over for sure. Yeah. Alrighty then. Let me see. <laughs> Salty. Sean, why do you continue to insist <laughs> that Charlie Weiss set Kansas up for the current success by making genius moves with the scholarship? He's just numbers? poking the bear. He's like, he is. He is. I broke this whole thing down the other night. I think everyone's oh, jaws you? dropped when I know he's I know That's he's uh, I know he's being being funny after the explanation the other night. But yeah, <laughs> you know, my Jesse has actually asked me, you know, how much credit does Les Miles get in all this for recruiting a lot of these guys that Kansas has right are the, now? Oh, are those guys still there? It seemed like I mean, Les yeah, Miles was I mean, so long ago, but with COVID and everything else. Yeah, I don't think he's that far removed, really. At, at least the upperclassmen would yeah. have been recruited by Les Miles. So Mad Hatter making yeah. his mark. Look out. Yeah. Jamar Chase almost went to Kansas before he finally got the offer from LSU. Yeah, think about that. Yeah, no kidding. All right. Brian, can Notre Dame linebackers and defensive ends stop over pursuing the backfield? They, that would be that would be optimal. Well, it is optimal. And I would say that after the first series in the last game, they did. I mean, they, they did a terrible job of that the first series. I was like, you've got to be kidding me. Here we go again. You know, the leaky pocket and all this other stuff. They settled down after the first series, and they did a much better job of that the rest of the game. And there, and believe me, there was a direct correlation with him struggling, with the quarterback struggling, to them keeping him in the pocket and, and kind of messing with him and forcing him out and all of those different things. So I will say that, yes, that was a huge issue going into game four. It's less of an issue for me going into game five. Concur. I don't have much to add to that. Yeah, you know, I, I, like you said, I think that they did a better job of it. You know, that was, a, you know, a big issue early on. And I, I think that it, you know, it obviously led to some of those quarterback runs oh, and stuff like it's that. It's a huge problem. But, yeah. But, you know, like, again, like you look at that North Carolina game where um, May ran for 33 yards on the first drive. And then as a team, they only ended up with, what, 67 for the game. Right. So, right. They changed. You know, they got it. They got it going soon enough. Um, we got like some West or not, not West. Well, there is a Wesley, but you know, this. Yeah, I saw that. I, I did. It didn't really make a whole, I, I didn't understand that comment. I don't know if I'd started or not, but like I was, yeah, I was confused by that. But one. John is asking, you know, in, in relation to Tobias Merriweather, Tobias Merriweather, nobody's asking a question about being in the doghouse, you know, team rules violations could be kept under wraps. I mean, we, That's we, true, but we know. I, I mean, I hate to say it, but just because the fans don't know, we That's know stuff that we would hear about. We yeah. hear about that stuff, and there has been nothing. And Brian made that pretty clear during his rant. I keep saying rant; it sounds mean. <laughs> Dur during his soliloquy uh, the other day, that that has not been the case with him. That was the case with some other younger receivers that are no longer at Notre Dame, right? But that is not the case with Tobias Merriweather. So we can we can brush that to the side. We don't need to ask Marcus Freeman about that because we already know. So there's yeah. no point in even asking that question. Yeah. So, And so Stymie says after Blake Wesley, of course, with the basketball team last year, he was hoping the freshman thing would carry over to football. Oh, can you imagine the appeal to high school players if they thought there was immediate opportunity? I mean, a little different, but. I mean, I mean, it is, you know, especially because, you know, basketball and one and done and, you know, right. that that whole thing. Not that anyone, even Wesley, thought he was going to be one and done when he came in the door. <laughs> but at the same time, you do have to wonder, like with some of these really good receivers who are out there committed to Notre Dame right now, what potential effect this could have on them. You know, yeah. those kind of guys. Oh, absolutely. Look, playing young guys is going to affect your recruiting. Yeah. Plain and simple. Um, and that's why they still continue to do well on the defensive side of the ball and recruiting because young guys are playing and they're making their mark, right? <clears throat> Eventually they're going to have to turn over a leaf and they're going to have to play young guys on offense it, at wide receiver specifically. And until they do that, they're still going to struggle getting high profile wide receivers. I mean, I, 
it's easier to make an impact, obviously, on the basketball court. And Blake Wesley was far from perfect when he was out there. But at the same time, I you know, it would be nice if it rolled over. But Mike Bray isn't coaching football. And I highly doubt that Mike Bray and Marcus Freeman are, you know, comparing notes when it comes to who to play. So, you know, it's kind of apples to oranges. But I understand where you're coming from. And, yes, it would be nice to see that. Yeah. Michael Johnson jokes, why can Bama have 30 coaches and we can't? <laughs> they don't have – they still – you know, are there it rules that they like It, it by, seems like but, every time you turn around, yeah. there's another analyst bursting at <laughs> yes. the seams out of the Alabama program. There is no rule about analysts. You can have a 1,000 analysts if you want, but they cannot coach guys on the field. Right. Can they right. do stuff in the meeting rooms and, you know, off the field? Absolutely. They can't coach guys on the field. You're only allowed to have 10 plus the uh, oh the, gra- the graduate coaches, right? Um, I think you get two on each side of the ball. Yeah. So technically there's 14 coaches, but at the same time, you, they, they still hold fast to that rule. But, uh, but yes, it always, it does always seem like everybody's going to Bama. Yes. Coaches, recruits. <laughs> Tyler with a super chat. Who's having bigger buyer remorse, Michigan State or Texas A&M? It's got to well, be A&M, right? Well, I mean, considering he does have the same, uh, that uh, Jimbo has the exact same record Kevin Sumlin had through 53 games, you know. Oh, wow, good call. But I guess they've at least had a little success. I, I kind of lean toward Michigan State getting their butts kicked, you know, by Minnesota. And in Washington, after giving Mel Tucker that big contract after just one year, you know, I, you might throw Pitt in there as well because you know I said at the time that that Pitt, you know, they gave Pat Narduzzi that big contract extension, and I just you know never okay, understood that one either. You had one good year, and he's been there for a few years now already. You're basically saying by giving Narduzzi that extension, you're completely fine with just a eh, pretty good right. team. Most right of the time because yeah. that's what they're going to get and that is what they're going to get and it's a shame but that is what they're going to get and that's protect your dream home with american family insurance and you can weather any storm you'll also save up to 25 percent by bundling home auto and life american family insurance get a quote find an agent at amfam.com Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. I mean, <clears throat> I enjoy watching Texas A&M struggle after all the money that they're throwing at coaches and recruits. Right. That, that makes me happy on the inside. I'm not going to yeah. lie. You know, I would love to see Michigan State better than they are currently. I, I I enjoy when Michigan State is good, just because they're you know kind of a historical opponent for Notre Dame, and I'd like I like when Notre Dame plays Michigan State, and it's always good when they're good. So I wish they were better, to be honest with you. But I can't really blame you know the head coach for taking the bag when they offered it to him after one year. No, I'm not going to blame mean, the coach. I mean, good for you, dude. Coach, but, you take the money. That's right. But, but it's yeah, the school with the buyers or more. Yeah, I I feel bad for them, but hopefully he can turn it around. I do think he's a good coach. I think he's got a good staff. They got to get something figured out. Uh, otherwise, it's going to be not for long kind of a situation. So, what do you think of this question from Irish Shytown? Would you rather see Michigan go zero and twelve next season, oh. or have Notre Dame make the playoffs this season with a ten and two record? Man, that's. I will always choose the success of my team over the demise <laughs> of the team that I hate the most. I would say if Notre Dame is not doing well, let's say they end in nine and three or whatever, then I'll take zero and twelve for sure. But I will always take the success of my team uh, every single time. So. That would yeah. be great if they made the playoff at 10 and 2. Don't see that happening, but that would be fantastic because that means that they obviously win the rest of their games and yeah. have big wins over Clemson and USC and BYU and you know all of the above. But I I will I would obviously enjoy 0 and 12. I would jump in with both of those as yeah. well, but I would take the 10 and 2 and making the playoffs. Okay. Yeah. Joe with another super <clears throat> chat. Joining late, Maya Culpa. If this has been addressed, I'm sorry. Seems to me that there will be some real opportunity to open up the passing game this week. Do you think Pine and Reese will really open up the offense? 
Um, no, I don't. Uh, I now will they pass? Could they pass it more than they have before? Sure. I mean, I think his average pass was like three yards away from the line of scrimmage or something like that. I mean, it you're obviously not pushing the ball down the field a ton. I think they're going to have opportunities to do that. I think they will do that. I haven't seen a whole lot of, you know, crossers and, you know, things of that nature with this offense this year. Is it possible to get to that point? Yes. I still, and I'm going to get some pushback for this. <clears throat> I still worry about Drew Pine and being that quarterback. I don't know that, that that that's him. I think right now Tommy Reese is calling a game that suits his game. You know, Tommy Reese is calling a game that suits Drew Pine's game mm-hmm. like to a T at the moment. You're not going to be able to win the big games doing that. You're going to have to open it up a little bit. I wouldn't say that they're going to open up the offense. That seems awfully big. I don't see that happening. Could we see some snippets and some things here and there? Yes. I don't think you can win all of your games doing what they've been doing. But I don't think it's going to be some sort of a wide open, throw the ball 50 times situation either. No, no. And I mean, you don't. I don't think you want to get into those kind of situations where you have to throw it. 50 times just just like we were saying earlier and and Joe was saying he got in late but everything works off the run game and Marcus Freeman said it this week as well you get that run game going early it's going to open up some of those other opportunities and just what the the one thing that I've really liked about what Tommy Reese has done for this last game and a half is you know again there's some kind of mixed feelings I think from some people on it but the use of the personnel especially the two back stuff and some of the pre-stamp motion that they've had where they're able, you know, to, to manipulate the defense and move, you know, move safeties, move linebackers, get them out of the box, you know, get, get shift the, the defensive personnel based on your movement and not all of it, even pre-snap, you know, play action and some, you know, some jet sweep, you know, show some jet sweep and just, just some really simple kind of stuff. And, and the, the concept of, you know, like, like dual, you know, dual routes, two guys in the same area that forces a defender to have to make a decision. They can do some of that. And I think it's going to be a progression as this season goes on, where as that stuff, assuming it continues to have success, I think that you can see some progressions sure. downfield, but I don't think they're just going to open things up, you know, because again, right. one, that's not Drew Pine's strength. And two, mm-hmm. the exception of Lorenzo Styles and, you know, somewhat, Braden Lindsay, you you just you're you're not putting the personnel out there on the field that's going to do that right now. That's, right again, that goes back to Tobias uh, Merriweather having a different skill right. set than those guys have. And and look, Tommy Reese will scheme guys open deep. He did it last game very successfully. Right, uh, you know whether it was Logan Diggs sneaking out of the backfield for that big play. You know there were there were plays that were there, and it was it was scheme driven. Right, it wasn't one on one receiver getting open driven either. So. I think you'll see more of that. Um, And those are, I mean, with all due respect to Drew Pine, those are some easy throws, right? And he, but he hit them. I mean, he hit those throws, but they're easy throws. And again, Tommy is going to put him in position to be successful. So, yeah. yeah. So Tim wants to know what's your score prediction if Notre Dame dominates this game on both lines? It's going to be, you know, high thirties for Notre Dame and it'll be high teens maybe for, for BYU if they dominate both lines of scrimmage. And, you know, again, I only say high teens, you know, that's three scores. uh, And I think they get that maybe late when you've got some other guys in the game, that kind of a thing. If if they dominate, BYU is going to have a hard try, a hard time scoring the football. And then Joe with a follow-up super chat. What I'm saying is this, given the Irish success in the running last week, which hopefully has turned a corner, that could open up larger windows for play action passing. Absolutely. Across the middle. Yeah. And that's I completely agree with yes. that. Yeah, Absolutely. that's what you're talking about. If that, yeah, if that's where you're going with that, I think that's a natural progression for Drew Pine yeah. and this offense. Absolutely agree with you, Joe. Yeah. <clears throat> All right. Let me see. From the Salty, do you have any characteristics you've learned from early career mentors that have stuck with you, whether you wanted them to or not? Wow. So good or bad? Wow. Do you have any you want that that you can think of off the top of your head? Well, I mean, I know this is going to sound corny and cliche, but (laughs) 
it's hard hard work will win the get win the day. I mean, that's you know, whether it's your job, whether it's sports or whatever, if you put the time in, you put the work in, you're going to be successful at whatever rate you're allowed to be successful, right? And I I have fallen back on that with everything that I've ever done. You know what I mean? I'm doing it right now in a brand new job. Stay late, you get the work done, you do what you have to go in early, do whatever you have to do to make sure that you're, you're checking all the boxes, you know? And the same thing with sports. I tell my son all the time, hey, are you going to go to your extra speed training on Thursday mornings at the school? Are you going to do this? Are you going to do that? Or do you not want to be good? You know, do you not want to be the best? Right. You know? And I think that that, again, I know that sounds corny and cliche, but it's true. If, if you want to be the best, you've got to put the time in. It doesn't just happen for most people, <laughs> for most people. Yeah. Yeah. And for me, you Kind of along those same lines, you know, this goes back to to my army days. One of the first sergeants that I had, find a way to get it done, you know, was kind of the the thing. And, you know, that doesn't mean, you know, there are going to be things that you don't want to do, but you, you got to right. do it and you got to find a way to get it done. And, uh, you know, that doesn't mean you're not going to complain about it. Sometimes you're not going to be happy with it, but at the end of the day, you can bitch and moan and complain all you want, but you got to find a way to, to figure it out because if it's part of your job, you got to get it done, you know? So, uh, I think that's, that's one. And, and the other one that I learned along the way was, uh, under promise and over deliver, you know, oh, because that's a you good one. Don't overcommit yourself, you know, promise, promise what you know that you can do. And then hopefully, it'll end up being, you know, even, even more than that. And that'll make people happier in the long run than if you overcommit yourself and you can't come through with something. I like that one a lot. That's, that's a good one. All right. Let me see. There was a couple more. I saw another super chat come in. Tyler with the Wisconsin firing their head coach and going with Jim Leonard. This feels like a Nebraska situation when they fired Bo Pelini. Yeah. I mean, I, can't disagree with that. That was stupid. I'm sorry. I, I, <laughs> I, Wisconsin's not winning national championships anytime soon. And he, it was a Wisconsin guy. He was doing his thing. They were competitive. They, you know, all of these different things. And you let him go. The grass isn't always greener. And I think they're going to find that out very, very quickly. But right. we'll see. I, all right. Not impressed. We got time for this is a super chat, so we're squeezing this one in. This is going to have to be our last Uh-oh. question. Then we're going to have to move to rapid fire because Vince has got to get going because he's got to go to that soccer game at eight o'clock tonight. And <laughs> I can I can tell just by watching you on this video, you outside tonight. That's not going to be a good thing for you or uh, anybody long term. <laughs> that's a pretty pretty solid uh, observation on your part. Not feeling great right now, but uh, maybe I'll try to sneak into the press box since I have cred now. But we'll see. Yeah. Okay, Vince, non-football question, he says, from a fellow baseball coach, how hard was it to give up coaching? Don't know that I could. I've been coaching 15 years and playing since I've been five. Well, thanks for the question, Joe. Uh, Extremely hard. That was the only reason that I wanted to stay at my current job when I got this job offer, to be honest with you. And the only way I can justify it to myself is I'm 41 years old. I have many, many, many more years of coaching ahead of me but my son is only going to be in high school for the next, he's a sophomore. So for the next three years, so his time is finite. And so I had offers to coach at the school I'm at now, both football and, and baseball. And I turned them both down because I wanted to watch my kid and he's a fall sport athlete and a spring sport athlete football. For me, that would be football and baseball. He runs track, plays football and soccer. And so I want to be able to watch him and I want to be able to be dad for a little while so I keep telling myself that over and over again, but it was very, 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 very difficult. But I am pumped up in the fall of 25 to get right back into coaching. That's my plan. Oh, so that's the plan long term, huh? That once is the plan long term. Okay. Because I don't think I could just come home after every day after school and just sit around. At least I have his games and stuff to look forward to right now. You're not just sitting around. You've got all these well, podcasts and all your true. breakdown friends to you know to keep you company and ask <laughs> this you true. questions. This is true. But yeah, I, I think I'll get back into it at some point uh after Dylan's in, in college. What shoot, if he's playing in college, maybe it won't be 25. Yeah, you know, that's I, true. Might but put it off a little bit longer. That's that's projecting, and I, I don't know that I'm ready to do that just yet either, right. so we'll see. Right. Good answer, though. Good answer. Thanks for uh, stopping by tonight. We will uh, be back with you, of course, tomorrow. Man, tomorrow's already Thursday, so we've actually got... Uh, 
have a conversation with a BYU reporter and uh, get a little insight from the BYU side of things on tomorrow's show, in addition to all the rest of the stuff that we always have. Vince and I will talk to BYU. We'll have rapid fire and all that good stuff as well. Thanks again for popping in tonight. We will talk to you tomorrow on Ivy Nation Sports Talk. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.